Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Hank Bradley. We recorded this at his home in Seattle back in October. Get Up in the Cool is listener-supported. If you want me to keep making the show, go to patreon.com slash getupinthecool, linked in the show notes, and sign up at a level that works for you and get its corresponding reward. Thanks again to everyone who keeps the show going. Stick around afterwards and I'll tell you how to keep up with this week's guest. But first, here's my interview and jam with Hank Bradley. Enjoy. Welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Well, nice to be here. Thank yeah. <laughs> thanks for coming all the way to Seattle. Yes, <laughs> happy to. What, what did we just play? That was Sullivan's Hollow. But and we were uh, doing it in, in C major. Yeah. yeah. I, it, uh, you can get some sounds on the fiddle in C that sound like the original recording. Yeah, is that because were they, in, were they playing it in C? In the original recording, to this day, I can't. I can't say. I'd have to actually play the record to tell you what they're playing it in. So I guess specifically, is it that you're sliding up to that to the E on the on the A string? Is that what you're getting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that is the way they start the tune. Interesting. But I'm not sure if that's the note. But right. They, but they do the same thing. Well, it's, yeah, it's a lovely sound. You certainly. I don't know how you would do that any other way. <laughs> Uh, cross tune the fiddle, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Hmm, very cool. Yeah. Wow, yeah, I've never played that. Research could be done in thirty seconds. You just pull up the original recording. Of what key are they really in? Yeah. <laughs> so, I have heard your name a lot 
ever since I came to back to the Pacific Northwest, mm -hmm. I didn't start playing old time music until I moved away from home in Hillsboro, Oregon to Philadelphia. And then eventually I moved back very recently. And ever since I've been hearing Hank Bradley, Hank Bradley tunes. And you seem to be a bit of a fixture in the area. Have you been in Seattle for a while? Well, since 1972. That's a while. <laughs> That's a significant amount of time. Um, are you originally, so you're not originally from Seattle? No, I'm a, I'm a fifth generation Californian. Californian. <laughs> Why did you come up to Seattle um, in 72? I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer. I was working on the BART project under, the, under San Francisco Bay. A phone okay. call came in one night. Hey, we have this group up here in Seattle. We learn uh, Yugoslav and Bulgarian music and dances, and we want to go to Yugoslavia and Bulgaria this summer. We'd like to take an American fiddler. Would you like to come? Interesting. That, that caused it all. That one phone call, winter of 1969. <laughs> so so you were not a, a professional musician before then? Oh, I had been on and off. On and off. But you just dropped your... I uh, stopped engineering for, for six months or so, yeah. Yeah. And then you went up to Seattle and then over to Yugoslavia? Yeah, we had a we had a a, a charter flight that cost, I think it was $165 round trip. Wow. And in 1970, that was, that, that was pretty cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's impressive, yeah. Yeah, interesting. So... But then you decided to land back in Seattle well, after that tour. I, there was a little zigzag through California, and then I lived, lived two years in Kansas doing engineering there, and then okay. finally moved back to Seattle. Yeah. Right. So did, had you played Yugoslavian music? Never. when they? Okay. So what was that I, like? I was, just, I was just interested in it. You know, anything that doesn't, doesn't sound like American music, I'm interested in. Well, how come? Not not why would one, but why are you specifically possibly, interested in non-American Possibly music? the novelty of it, but uh, I was raised around a lot of classical music, and uh, it sank in at a very early age. I, I just listened to that stuff like I really meant it. Who was exposing you to classical music? Oh, my parents. Yeah. And, and, and Did they play it or listen to it? Um... Neither of them played it, but they both came, well, my mother particularly came from a family that had some very proficient musicians in it. Yeah. And, so it was uh, I just sort of absorbed that and uh, really liked a lot of the music and just had my ears open ever since I was about that high. Yeah. And uh, here it is. Somebody playing in nine sixteenths or thirteen sixteenths or something. Well, that's interesting. Let's go there and see what they do. <laughs> see, a lot of people hear that and they and they will say, "Oh, that's outside of my lane," and I'm going to let other people take care of that. But you well, had the I'm opposite. One, I'm one of those other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So, yeah, when did you start playing the violin? Was it to play classical music? Um, Junior high school orchestra, nineteen fifty one, just kind of kind of boring music. But at least I was I was learning to get around on a fiddle. And uh, after after three years of that, I put the fiddle under the bed. Then I was going to a, a 
community college in Monterey, and I heard two wild men from Greenwich Village who came through playing five-string banjo. That was Peter Stamphill. I've heard his name. Yeah, and uh, and Dick Graham, and they were playing this wild dealy beely music, <laughs> and I wasn't really familiar with it in those days. But again, I attracted by interest. Yes, and I asked Peter, "What you do?" Um, with your right hand to play the five-string banjo climber style. And he showed me that. And I got an El Cheapo banjo and started playing, mm-hmm. <laughs> playing that stuff. Yeah. Okay. So that got me into old-time music. This is 1961. And by 1963, I had a few records and was trying to learn things from the New Lost City Ramblers yeah. or whatever. 1963 comes my mother visiting from from home with a letter in her hand from the draft board. She says, you will report to the draft board. Oh, brother. <laughs> August 5th or whatever it was. Off I went into the Army. And, uh, now, I, I haven't interviewed a lot of people. You may be the first person who's drafted who's been on the show. I'm not actually sure. But what... I, this might be like a tangent from the music story at first, but like how was was that uh, worrisome to you to be drafted? Did you have any interest in participating in the military? No, no, I was just an ordinary California hippie who liked surfboards and music. Right, <laughs> and I, I didn't really want to do that, but there was no there was no choice. Yeah, it wasn't for about two years that. The whole industry of how to dodge the draft had, had grown up in the U.S. Right. So they, they grabbed me just before that happened. And I shrugged my shoulders and went. Yeah. And they sent me to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, for two years. Perfect. And I was interested in fiddles and banjos anyway. So if I could get off of Fort Bragg, I'd go up into the foothills or Galax or Mount Airy or all those places and see if I could find any old geezers. I found lots of them. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what did that actually look like going up in the hills? Did you have contacts, or did you find addresses, or what did? What do you no, mean? No, I, I had nothing. I you just, just walked up. I, I saw listening. Po- I no. Um, specifically, I saw a poster for the 1964 Galax Fiddlers Convention ah, okay. happening on such and such a weekend, and uh, so I went there. And just had this religious experience, okay. standing around. Here's all these guys in the parking lot opening up their trunks and pulling out old banjos and things, and just standing around playing music. You know, before the contest actually started. But hey, this is how it's supposed to go. You know, mm. and I was just totally sucked in. Yeah. So I got my parents to send my five-string banjo out, and, and I had my a fiddle. And I just worked on those things like the devil himself for, until I went back to California in 65. Did you have very much, I don't know what like being stationed somewhere looks like on a day-to-day basis. Did you have very much time to play music? No. No. <laughs> no. Out, out of the 24, I spent 22 months in Fort Bragg. And out of those, I don't think I even got 22 weekends. Okay. But like on a day to day, like were, were you able to get out an instrument and and play? On weekends, I could. Just I'd, on weekends, I'd go up to Durham or Raleigh or Chapel Hill, and there were just starting to be coffee houses up there at that okay. time, and people who were interested in 
mostly, you know, folk ballads and all this kind of stuff, but a few of them played old-time music. Yes. And uh, so I got into that crowd and went after it as, as hard as I could. Yeah. Got quite a reputation as a guitar player. Too. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. Had you played guitar before? On and off. Yeah. On and off? And, well, be before before the draft board came, I was playing four-string banjo in Dixieland bands around Monterey. So I got pretty good at knowing how to hear harmonies. I'm starting to think that it might be a better line of questioning to ask what musics you did not get <laughs> get into <laughs> instead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, maybe let's play this hob die, and then I have, yeah, I have a lot more questions about how you got here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I'm in G. Does it sound good with you? Okay, ready when you are. It's just a one-of-a-kind tune. I've never heard anything else like it. Yeah, me neither. It's like not quite a rag, but it's not yeah. not a rag. Yeah. Yeah. Kenny didn't know. He thought it was from Texas. Oh, there you go. You know. I can hear that. Kenny. Kenny Hall. Yeah. Did you know Kenny Hall personally? Oh, I knew him very well. Yeah. How did you meet Kenny? I went to college after I got back from the Army in Fresno, California. There was a state college up there, studied civil engineering. And to my surprise, in the, in the engineering department were a whole bunch of string players. 
and banjo players and guitar players and all this kind of, not much in the way of fiddles yet. Mm -hmm. I was pretty much the only fiddle player on the block in those days. Mm. And uh, got acquainted with them, started going to the Fresno Folk Music Society, and that's where I met Kenny at first, who was playing here and there around Fresno. You know, he was a blind mandolin player who got disgusted at making brooms in a broom factory. And so he decided he was going to play music if he could, and he did. And uh, Fresno was connected with a summer home of a teacher in Fresno, Virgil Bixby and his wife, Edith. And they had this home company, they called it Sweets Mill. And Sweets Mill became an institution in California starting about that time, a little maybe a little before 65, but not much. By the time the, the 60s had rolled around, they were, they were coming to an end. There were a lot of people from Berkeley coming down and it became the hip place to go mm. in the summertime for music gatherings. And um, Kenny was always up at Sweets Mill and we'd sit around literally play for eight hours nonstop. Yeah. He loved to do that, and we loved to do that too. We learned a lot of tunes from him. Did he Did he have a specific tradition that he played? No. No, he, played? He, he learned off of random 78s. He played, oh, uh, Argentinian music, and he played hillbilly music, <laughs> and he played uh, Mexican music. He played with his first fingernail on a pot-bellied mandolin. Interesting. Just very clean, precise playing, and just a vast repertoire of 78s that he'd stored in his brain. And what, what, did he get some good volume out of just the fingernail? Oh, yeah. And did he... Okay, I have a lot of questions about this. This is very... Did he, did he move his his arm as or, or wrist as if he were playing a mandolin but just with a fingernail instead or did he flick his no, finger he, he pretty much had his thumb on the top of on the top of the mandolin and, and he sort flicked. of used a trigger finger motion oh my goodness <laughs> <laughs> you'd think you'd get like focal dystonia from doing that or something he, yeah he did fine yeah <laughs> wow he did really well i would love to hear that i had the or pleasure one time of walking with him and doc watson in berkeley Neither one of them could see anything, uh -huh. but Doc yielded to superior ears. Kenny could hear curbs. You know, they they hear reflections off of any solid objects. Interesting. And Kenny could literally hear where the curbs were. Doc couldn't do that. He could hear the telephone poles or or tell you how big you were if you were walking by him, how, how big that person is. Wow. And uh, where the doorways were. Hmm. It's amazing how much they can perceive. Did, did just sound sound waves? Did did they make noises? I've heard of some blind people using something not dissimilar to echolocation. You know, like making a little click or something in order to hear. I don't remember Kenny doing that, but uh, usually there was enough ambient noise from from his own walking or whatever. Sure. And he would literally take us on walks through the woods behind Sweets Mill <laughs> and guide us through all these wow. weird pathways. Interesting. Interesting. Very, very prodigious fellow and quite a musician. Yeah, in my, you know, limited experience playing uh, playing traditional music for the last 10 years or so, but I, I don't know if I've ever run into any... Um, Anybody, anyone that was fully blind, 
Yeah, but that seems there seems like there's such a tradition of of that. Of yeah. Like, what el- what else could they do? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I wonder what's why I don't see that as much anymore. I don't have any I, answers. I don't know either. Yeah. But I hear I've heard so many of these stories about these old blind players. Maybe healthcare is well, better. Well, <laughs> you know, Kenny, Kenny Ola, Doc Watson were two of the most prodigious ones. Around. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I had the pleasure of playing quite a lot with both of them. So I need to get into the key of D, but then I would love to ask you about uh, writing tunes. Oh, okay. Since we right. have some originals, the rest of these are all originals. So. Yeah. Let me get into into D tuning real quick. So. Uh, should we play? Should we play this? Ain't broke. Oh sure. Yeah. Do you want to give an intro to this tune? How did you write this tune, and why did you write this tune? Uh, I'm always monkeying with instruments, and occasionally a tune will come out, or enough of a tune that I can build, you know, flesh it out later. Mm-hmm. I was sitting in this living room with a mandolin one day, plunking away, and out came "Ain't Broke." So, spontaneous generation, that's what it was. Yeah, very good. And, uh, Do, I, I'm always curious about where tune titles come from for original tunes. Oh, titles are my worst bugaboo. <laughs> I, I generally use titles that basically include the day's date. And yeah. if, I need, if I need a title for, for public display or something, I'll make one up. Yeah. Sometimes that's easy. Sometimes it's impossible. Right. <laughs> they ain't broke. Seem seem to be all right. So it it seems to be compatible with maybe some of the the energy of the tune in some way that's maybe a little inexplicable. But I think it fits. Well, and the, and the subtitle and so don't fix it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just I just. My rubber stamp to put it. Gotta call it something other yeah. than October sixth, yeah, two thousand fifteen or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Is this a new tune? This is on your record that you came it, out with in two thousand sixteen. It's dated on the record. I can't. I can't think of the exact date, but it was probably from the nineties uh, or early two thousands. Okay. Thank you. 
Maybe it could use some fixing, but <laughs> who knows? Next time it'll be uh, some good old tuned duct tape. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So we have uh, some more original ones to play as well. How, how did you write this hexadecimal rag? That goes back to the early 70s. Let's see. What, I came up with a little phrase that I thought would make a good tune. And I cannot right now bring it to mind. It seemed, it seemed like a good idea, but there just wasn't enough of it. <laughs> and for years I kept thinking, what can I do with this? What can I do with it? And, and the hexadecimal rag was the ultimate result of it. Oh, interesting. Wait, are you saying, because there are kind of odd phrase lengths, or not odd as in odd numbers, but like non-square phrase lengths in this tune. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm used to go around with a button on that, that had a, uh, the number 32 and a circle around it and a slash through it. Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I like irregular fiddle tunes. Yeah. <laughs> That's not really, you know, a fiddle tune for a dancer or anything, but sure. it's irregular enough. Yeah. It, I'll, I'll add one one more thing here, which is that it seems like a lot of people are doing their best to learn every fiddle tune that was ever written, uh -huh. acquiring these immense repertoires. And somewhere I got off that boat. I was as, as eager to do it as anyone else. But I, I thought, you know, these are all linguistic feats. Music is a language. If you have your own sentences and paragraphs, you can make your own tune. Sure. I think that actually create, you know, adding a little more than, than just learning everybody else's tune and reciting them back. So that's really what got me into making up tunes after I'd made up the first half a dozen or so. Have have people in general been receptive to new original material? Um, mostly, I would say yes. I won a fiddle contest out here in the state of Washington. Playing an original tune? Yeah, and in, in those days the rules were the tune had to be 50 years old, and I thought, well, <laughs> if the judges are so smart, they'll recognize that it's not 50 years old. So I played one of mine and won the fiddle contest. Now, would you say that the idiom that the tune was written in was close enough to... Did it sound old, I guess is my question? That's the whole intent. You're, you're trying to speak somebody else's language yes. as if you were a native. Yes. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, sometimes you might take a little excursion off to one side or other. Sure. I had a great talk with Dewey Balfa at the first Fiddle Tune Festival. And by it, I played him one of my really ambitious old tunes from the, from the late 60s. And he laughed, you know, it just, just went all over the place and did everything and fireworks and yeah, yeah, yeah. And everything. And he said, you know, when I was young, I used to do that too. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he needed to say. So cold. Oh my goodness. Uh, I believe the the youth of today call that being extra. Oh, okay. That's the term. That was extra. It's not just cultural appropriation. You know, I'm, well, I'm there's really, that too. Yeah. I'm really big on cultural appropriation. I wrote the book on it. <laughs> well, yeah. It seems like you were able to. Um, be become an, become somewhat of a native, or at least be fluent in some of these languages. Then, 
Well, yeah, that that's true. Um, when I was in Fort Bragg, I was hanging around as much as I possibly could with a Galax band called the Mountain Ramblers, which had this, well, it was an exceptional band because it played so cleanly together, but it had this wonderful fiddle player, Otis Burris. I don't know if you know about him or not. No. But uh, he was... There's a there's a county album called Virginia Breakdown, which more or less features Otis Burris and Buddy Pendleton and Sonny Miller, who were all going really strong at that time. It just opened my eyes a mile wide, mm. going to every Galax Fiddlers convention I could, just to listen to those guys, because they could really play, and I couldn't. <laughs> so I had to work at it. Mm. But... Um, I had picked up that idiom well enough that by 1990, I went back to, uh, oh, 72. I was visiting there, and Otis wasn't able to play that day, but I'd been jamming with, with Charles Hawks and some of the other locals, and James Lindsay, who was uh, the boss of the band, asked me to come and stand in for Otis. You know, major honor as far as I was concerned. Yeah. Which I did. I could play enough like him. Yeah. It, 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 the bands didn't sound different. And then again, in 1990 and 1991, I went back to Galax and played played again as a fiddle player in the Mountain Ramblers. Wow. Another major honor. That's just, you know, that's my high, that's my pinnacle right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... I know you're being a bit tongue-in-cheek about the cultural appropriation thing, but I actually don't get very many opportunities to talk to people who actually uh, studied and played with uh, these players back then in those regions. And I would love to hear your perspective on were they... Did you see people with open arms ready to accept uh, what today people might refer to as coastal elites, you know, coming in to learn their music. In those days, there was, there was no, no problem with it. There, there, oh, here's, here's some guy from California who wants to play the fiddle. Ain't that nice? And they would take me all around and introduce me to people. We'd sit around and play. Yeah. It was very, very welcoming, right? Yeah. And maybe I was the right color and the right gender sure. and all that kind of stuff. But I think if a woman had gone back there with the same ability to play the fiddle, she'd have had no problem either. Wonderful. Because they loved the music. Yeah. For, I mean, you know, I was sort of a minor celebrity in, in Galax for a while. Wow. You know, the out-of-town guy who plays <laughs> like us. <laughs> that's really that's really neat to hear. Did, did you know anybody or hear about anybody who was uh, not very well behaved as a guest to the music who was coming from the outside and who actually did stir up trouble? I don't have any specific memories of that. <laughs> Most of my specific memories are of local bands kind of trying to elbow each other aside for one reason. It's, it's, it's tribal. It, sure. It was, it, you you saw more internal conflict than them and, getting together and, to and like... not a whole lot of that. Sure. It was the only conflict outside of the fist fights at Galax, which always happened because people like to drink a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever, uh, when you were in, <laughs> when you were playing with these people and um, being invited in to play their music, did you ever feel conflict about 
were, were there ever cultural clashes when it came to like political ideas and would did that ever get in the way or did you ever feel like oh I better keep quiet about my ideas about this or things like that I basically try to keep quiet about politics when I'm not in my own tribe just in general you do oh yeah yes. I mean, we're, we're about to go to uh, Bosnia and visit my new grandchildren and yeah. uh, only 20 years ago, they were shooting at each other. Yes. And uh, I am definitely going to zip my lip about anything political there. Right. What could you add to that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're not going to solve any problems. Yeah. No. Yeah. Interesting. But, uh, you know, if you, if you go into the South and do enough cultural transgressions, you'll run into trouble of some kind or other. You know? It's just what happens. Uh, yeah. I mean, good to... There's There's been in general a little bit of conflict around this kind of thing lately i think partly because the internet is allowing all of these uh people from different areas to talk to each other without filters while they're not while they don't have to look at each oh, other the internet throws gasoline on the fire there's no <laughs> doubt about it <laughs> yeah yeah i've definitely fed the fire a few times lately and i've, I've been thinking about it a lot <laughs> and how to how to better be a guest in the music yeah. but also you know uh encourage different I guess I'll say this, encourage the the community to invite guests who don't look like me or act like me. That's totally fine. And uh, yeah. generally, most Americans are tolerant like that. They're, they're willing to entertain people who don't quite look like them or whatever, you know, given that Maybe maybe the uh, the outsider shares some attitudes or other with you, if you can get by the language barrier. Sure. Or a language, if there is one. Yeah. Touchy subject. It's very touchy. <laughs> I, I appreciate I you broaching it. Yeah. I don't. I don't yeah. like to go very far into it. That's fine. <laughs> no, I uh, I'm finding myself looking to the uh, older generations as I'm. As I'm getting more and more invested in this in this music and wanting to make sure I, I'm respectful and I do it right, you know. Yeah. So, well, I appreciate that. Can, can we, we? This all was. Uh, uh, we were going to play hexadecimal rag, and then I started getting interested in other things and asking you questions. Totally so let's fine. play this hexadecimal rag. <laughs> all right. Yeah. I did you say it was a button or a patch with a thirty-two and then a line through it? Yeah, I, I want one. Do you have any more? No, there was just there was just a few made up. <laughs> we we had another one made up, which we heard about from Jody Stecker, who had been in uh, Ireland, which was the Society for the Abolition of Borans and Buzukis. <laughs> <laughs> Jody and I both decided we must be members of that, <laughs> especially me, the Buzuki player. <laughs> oh, lovely! I love it. All right, let me get make sure I'm still in tune. Okay. Okay, the hexadecimal rag. <laughs> Notice this is a lot like some of the old southern recordings that were called blues or rags. Yes. They had nothing to do with the blues or yes. nothing to do with the rag. <laughs> yeah. well, this is I love it, yeah. It's part of a secret tradition. <laughs>
putting me to work. <laughs> <laughs> I would find that hard to play in a claw hammer banjo. You're doing uh, good. Well, <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it was a delight to play. <clears throat> so we just have one tune left. Before we do that, where do people go to stay up to date with your music, to buy your albums? Oh. There's a website called hankandkathy.com. Great. Is that your Healy Beely music? What? Is that Healy Beely music? That's there? whatever we do, which yeah. includes a lot of Greek music and Irish music yeah. and Healy Beely music. And that, that is what the members of your Greek band call... This music, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Healy Billy. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's no, where I, everything I, you can find it I, all. Well, but between my wife and I, yes, yeah, we, we play a lot together, and uh, so that website is about. And uh, boy, I don't. I certainly don't have a distribution contract for that CD. You have to get them through me. Is it on CD, baby? Oh, it is. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. great. So and I'll find the link to that. That and, that and uh, I think three others are. Wonderful. And uh, yeah, that's where Roscoe's Gone is and Hippie Up the Danube is. <laughs> <laughs> Good titles. <laughs> yeah. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Thank you so much for letting me into your house and giving me tea and giving well, me good stories and tunes. Thanks thanks for the morning. It's been pretty amusing. Yes. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah. Good. So we're going to play Roscoe's Gone. Oh, right. Yeah. Which uh, I believe Molly Tenenbaum showed me when she was on the show. And we played a double banjo version of it. But that's the only time I've ever played the tune. And I'm excited to play it again. Okay. Yeah. And I told my friend Jake that I was going to come interview you and he said oh i love roscoe's gone <laughs> and oh, so cool. this is like a requested tune i guess yeah yeah i yeah, had a little bit of a story because I, I came up with it very shortly after roscoe holcomb passed away yeah. and he was an enormous hero of mine mm. and i thought having a, having a tune to remember him by would be nice it doesn't sound exactly the way he plays or the way he thinks musically but there it is <laughs> but it's the way you respond to him yeah yeah in his memory. That's lovely. Yeah. There's a bit of the high and lonesome in there. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready when you are. Thanks. All hey. right. Thank you. 
Hank Bradley's band, Roscoe's Gone, is playing the Fiddler's Inn Pub in Seattle on February 23rd at 7pm, so if you're in the area, check it out. You can also check out Hank's website at hankandkathy.com, that's Kathy spelled C-A-T-H-I-E, to browse and buy his albums and check out other upcoming events. All that's linked in this episode's show notes on your podcast app. Don't forget that Get Up in the Cool is listener-supported and needs your help to keep going. You can support the show at patreon.com slash getupinthecool, also linked in the show notes. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool. 